Hello and welcome to Escape Pod 20, a podcast series celebrating 20 years of Escape Studios, the UK's premier VFX animation and game art training and teaching institution. Escape Studios is a rookie certified school, Unreal authorized training center and Houdini certified school, so you know our curriculum is of industry quality. This podcast episode today covers the year 2005. With me today is Escape's Head of Industry Training, Mark Spevick. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good, Anita. How are you today? I'm fine. It's good to see you. It's, um, thank you for joining us. And, um, well, we go way back, don't we? We've, um, I, I seem to be following in your footsteps, aren't I, from the, from the, from the early days. But uh, we'll talk a little bit. Yes. <laughs> we'll I'd like to talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, but um, since we're covering the year 2005, I thought maybe I could set the uh, set the time for our listeners in that, um, you know, you and I both had started um, back in the day um, more in, in camera um, effects at art and yes. visual effects. So I know I'd done a lot of stop motion animation and building sets and that type of thing. Um, and then from Artem, you went on to Peerless Camera Company like I did, which was... The, one of the first digital companies that kind of made that transition. I mean, when we worked there, there was still a, a rostrum and a, a rig in the middle of the of the studio, and then and then we moved on to there escape. Was. So tell me, tell me, should we start from Artem? What got you into Artem, and 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 where did you want to move on from there? Well, yeah, I mean, ever since school, I just wanted to do special effects, <laughs> and um, back then there wasn't much on the computer. It was all in camera physical effects, and um, Artem was up the road. So back in the day, you used to have this massive book called The Knowledge, which is a big directory of everything in the film industry. So if you were lucky enough to find a copy of that, you could hunt through all the companies and ring them up and ask for um, experience. So while I was still at art school, um, Artem took me on as a junior first and then as a um, sort of a freelance artist when I left art school, sort of doing tvs and commercials and things which was quite interesting i remember we once did a, a massive sony mini disc player when they first came out we built a, a huge one so that um someone could snowboard down the side of it looking like the uh, lead singer from jamiroquai with his fancy hat on mm -hmm. so that was interesting making one of those at artem and then um we could see the digital you know computers were starting to come in and stuff so I left Artem and got a job as a runner at Peerless Camera because um, I actually knew someone that knew the owner. <laughs> so um, it was a bit of luck, really. And they said, oh, we know there's a, a company that does visual effects. So they took me on as a runner there, which I did for uh, just over two years. And as Anita quite rightly said, when I got promoted on the first film I got promoted on, actually, was Vertical Limit in 2000. Yay. So I was running and doing all the CG <laughs> snow and stuff. Yay. I was too busy to carry the film anymore. So they got Anita in instead. And I, I moved up the rung. <laughs> I actually loved those some of those scenes, like trying to figure out like how to build... Um, you know, a snow-covered valley uh, because all those chopper shots, you know, rescuing off of snowy cliffs. It was kind of the first of its kind, wasn't it, to have such, like, grand visuals? I mean, it's not 2005, that was 2000, but what was interesting about that, it was the first time um, that, that we filmed, they filmed a lot of it in New Zealand, and it was the first time that New Zealand was sort of doing film tax breaks and stuff, so on the back of that, they built a massive um, indoor uh, green-blue screen or green screen stage, which has now become wetter 
that was the foundation of the wetter buildings and stuff. So Vertical Limit really kind of paved the way for the VFX industry in New Zealand. It was really kind of the forerunner of that. So it was, that was interesting. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. I, I mean, you know, I'm starting to realize that I'm actually one of the dinosaurs now, aren't Because <laughs> it really uh, yeah. has changed so much in, the, in just such a short time. It has. I mean, Peerless, um, we're doing computer graphics for many years. I don't know if um, Kent ever showed you the boss. He had a really interesting piece of CG done in 1972. <laughs> and um, they worked with Imperial College. And it was this little paddle steamer with a little wheel on the side rotating. And it was a turntable. And it was all drawn in vector graphics. And they printed it out on dot matrix paper. <laughs> and then they brought that round to Peerless, who photographed it on the rostrum so they could actually see it move. Yeah. It's amazing. It was a program with punch cards. I love it. I mean, well, I remember those actually because I remember having to clean out the the kind of the uh, the caves, <laughs> the hidden doorways. Yeah, the tapes. Do you remember finding that? Yeah. <laughs> I remember finding all the, the old the fear and loathing drawings, which I thought I think Tim was doing those, and also Martin Body. He was like rotoing, but with like cut out pieces of paper in a. It I just, was. it's just crazy, and um, and all, all the map paintings from um um. Uh, time bandits oh it's just so cool and uh what was the other one baron Muchenhausen with all the had one of the planes <laughs> been hanging in the rafters yeah the moon face yeah. the moon head face thing <laughs> oh oh i miss i miss those days mark so so um i should probably move on and ask you a few more questions i know you're busy and have a deadline looming so um so the next question so so you got in into the industry like so many of us back in the day as a runner because there was no great way of getting into the industry and um, in particular 2005 is interesting because you're actually working at one of the first digital studios in the world really let's face it um, Terry Gilliam's uh, peerless camera company and obviously they took on a lot of different I, I remember several different projects um, coming through all the time um, uh, that we'd be that we'd be working on. But Brothers Grimm in particular was one of Terry's babies. And that was an interesting time where Terry was still interested in building his props and his sets because he loved that quality of like the theater and storytelling and, and fairy tales. Whereas um, at the same time, a lot of um, CGI was employed to, 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 to create those shots. And what, what do you remember the most about it or what did he get out of that that you took forward? Um, from Brothers Grimm. Um, it, it was interesting um, because at the time we needed to do some CG fire and smoke when the Queen blows out the um, forest and stuff, and that was not there at the time. So we used a game technique called sprites, which looked surprisingly well for the, for the time it was, actually. <laughs> and then, yeah, there was some... Because it was all based on fairy tales, and there was some really nice um, tracking shots where I tracked... Um, was it Monica Bellucci who's an amazing actress and she was played the evil queen and she breaks into, she's like a made of mirror. She breaks up like she was a made of a mirror. That was quite an interesting set of shots as well. And the mud mimic, I think was the most favorite one sort of dripping mud character. It was very difficult not to make him look like poo <laughs> <laughs> and all the tests they did trying to make it feel like mud, not the other thing, which is quite interesting. So yeah, that seems to be a reoccurring thing. I mean, uh, uh, we worked. Uh, I was at NPC on Troy as well, but at the same time, they were starting up with Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and again trying to make the Chocolate River look like River Chocolate <laughs> and not like the other thing again. And interestingly, I'm working on um, a similar movie. I can't say what it is, but it involves the same kind of character. <laughs> problem solving. And again, yeah, the same the same shading problems again. 
Well, it's um, yeah, but then but they achieve it. It's you know, you see these chocolate ads, and they manage to make it work. Maybe we should talk. You to do, someone. but it, it, it's a lot of effort. Put it that way. It's a fine <laughs> fine line. If you get it right, it looks good. If you don't, it looks interesting. Just to say. So but, so, yeah. so Brothers Grimm didn't look crap is what you're trying to say <laughs> and, uh... no the mud mermaid looked really good actually in the end his um little eyeballs all floating around and that was the first time we, uh, peerless actually used houdini i think in production they got um a few legends of the time to come in and um actually use houdini for the mud mimic that was quite an early early version of houdini cool so that was and... the only software they could use to get that sort of running mud look and you've fallen in love with Houdini, haven't you? Because we were we were working in XSI and then in Maya, but then Houdini came along with all these other kind of, you know, you could work out all these particles and get other things done. So, and now you've become somewhat of an expert in Houdini and uh, side effects Maybe love you. You're far. their you're their golden boy, I think, though, aren't you? I mean, as far as being able to bes do bespoke training for other companies, I know you've done a lot of work with our industry partners like Framestore. So. What what is it that um, why did you latch onto Houdini after all these other softwares you'd you'd played around with? Um, it's the procedural nature of it and um, the openness of the software. It's more of a visual programming environment than a traditional three D software. So you find that um, you can actually do anything that you need to. So you can get yourself out of some tricky problems sometimes in a fairly easier, more straightforward manner than other softwares. Because the other softwares you'd need to learn to write a plugin, but in Houdini. You could kind of make your own plugins if that's like without without the coding in a more artistic kind of way. Plus, it's very scalable, which is really awesome. I mean, that's the thing. It's got a lot of tools for a lot of areas, so it really depends what you're specialising in. It does CFX really well these days. It does character animation with the procedural rigs. Um, you know, whatever unifies a workflow and makes it easy for animators, riggers, motion capture artists all work together on the similar assets is a, is a bonus. You know, Houdini's trying to move towards that. But then, you know, that being said, and the side effects, I hate me for saying this, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer of choosing the right tool for the right job. And there's some things that Houdini does amazingly well, and there's other things that other software does amazingly well. And if you choose the right software for that job, then you're going to be on a winner. But it depends. So sometimes Houdini's great for animation, other times it's not. Getting back to um, Peerless and 2005 and, and Bro Brothers Grimm, I'm only bringing this up again because um, you've, I recall a story that, that you've mentioned about spending two years of your life building this beautiful tree for Brothers Grimm and the fact that, you know, it ends up on the, so you know, the editing room floor at the end of the day. So I yep. guess one of the things is, you know, love your work and jump into it, but don't be precious about it and let it go. And whatever you've learned on that project, you can take with you onto the next project. What do you think about about that? No, absolutely. I mean, you're working at the whim of a, of a director, first of all. So often you make revisions and stuff that you think look, looks good and they change it and make you do stuff that you might not sometimes might not think that looks great. After all, they're the client. And then, like uh, Anita was saying, actually, um, when I worked on Brothers Grimm, my major sequence was this whole thing about a tree, ripping them up and throwing them all around. In fact, they spent over a million pounds making an animatronic tree, which they flew over to Prague to do all the filming. And uh, we worked on this sequence, like I say, for a year and a half, two years. And in the final edit, Terry decided to cut it because it didn't do anything for the narrative of the story. So none of my work made it into that movie whatsoever. But <laughs> those are the breaks. You know, sometimes your stuff ends up on the cutting room floor. But, you know, you, you can't be precious, as Anita says, you know, it's a great learning experience. And um, I think you can still put stuff like that on your reel, just um, it's harder for people to recognise it. Yeah. But then that's what happens, you know, cutting room floor can sometimes be where your work ends up. So after your 
your time at Artem and Peerless and then you moved on to Escape. So, I mean, I've been at Escape for 10 years. So your anniversary must be coming up pretty soon. How long have you been at Escape? Um, 13, 14 years. 14 years. Wow, you should so get a medal. A while. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Uh, it's a long time to be out of production, but that's kind of why... In the industry training apart from training partners i've gone back in fact frame store have borrowed me for the last six months so i can sharpen my feet sharpen my uh, skills up again by actually doing the job which is kind of good so i've just been finished working on um moon knight for marvel which i'm sure a lot of people have already seen and Sorry. then um just done loads of stuff on a massive sequence of thor which i'm not allowed to talk about the th- the sequence itself <laughs> now i've been going back to escape and um furthering sort of providing training for industry partners as well as the undergraduates because that again that services and provides us with information on what's put on the undergrad and postgrad courses because we're heavily aligned with industry and we get a lot of input on those particular courses from industry but it's one thing getting their feedback it's another thing of actually having the insight of from ourselves directly of knowing what the job entails mm-hmm. so that's what i've been doing sort of not only getting you know doing nice stuff on the movies but taking notes on how their pipelines actually work, speaking to ex-escapees that are actually working there now. So a lot of them are supervisors and moved up, which is interesting, and just finding out, you know, how that transition was for them and is there anything that we could do to make the transition into the job a lot easier. And a lot of them surprisingly said, not a lot really, they said they literally, it was exactly what they expected having done the the, the course at Escape. And um, yeah, they're enjoying it. And like I say, a lot of them now are supervisors and lead artists, you know, three or four or five years in particularly obviously at frame store because that's where i am so then the story is the same if you go to the other big facilities as well if you go to ilm or the rest you'll bump into lots of escapees at all different levels <laughs> and <laughs> which it, is excellent it's a wonderful thing it is it's amazing isn't it and do you find um i mean how is it the working from home ratio to to in-house ratio how are you finding it is it coming back up to you know 50 50 or Depends, depends on the project. Depends on the individual. Depends on the individual company mm-hmm. and the artists at the time, really. So, um, just to close, because I've I've kept you here for quite long enough now. Um, do you have any uh, words of wisdom for the young ones that are looking to break into the industry or looking to navigate the industry to become a professional, and and where yeah. should they go with that? Well, there's many ways into the industry. You could start as a runner like the rest of us, but that might take you a few years, or you could study and get those skills up really quickly. Um, and, you know, now there's never a better time than at the moment. Industry is just desperately short-staffed. So, you know, any any people with some good skills out there, they'll take you on. And um, you don't have to be amazing. You know, you need to show good potential, and they'll, they'll train you on the job anyway. So I wholly recommend getting a show all together. So either do that in your own time, do that in a short course, do that on the undergrad course. All of that will pay dividends. You know, there's a, a lot of work needs to be made. Uh, the big thing is actually... Um, Warner Brothers and Amazon and Netflix have all committed to the London studios and they've all taken out 10-year contracts so they're going to be here for at least 10 years so, <laughs> and they need to produce all this wonderful content for their digital streaming channels so hence the, re- the need for us you artists new artists to create that, that content so yeah now's never never been such a good time to get into the industry Absolutely. it is raging so yeah get, get, your, get started get your portfolios together and get to that career of your dreams oh, thanks so much um mark for for uh yeah for chatting with me today and um i'm gonna let you go because i know you have a deadline <laughs> in a minute so um but i'll catch you around we have to catch up uh outside of the escape pod shall we um at some time really really soon it'd be great to see you again definitely okay take care thank you thanks again thanks, thanks everyone, everyone.